Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. What's going on, friends? If you didn't know, May is actually Mental Health Awareness Month. And I know a lot of you know how much I care about mental health, right? Well, today I am super excited um, because on this very special episode where we will actually discuss quarantine and COVID-19, which is something that Ashley and Lauren and I have actually been trying to stay away from because we know you know, you guys are inundated with this information and it's the last thing you want. Um, In the same token, I've been hearing and seeing in our Facebook group and a lot of people have been messaging me that they're experiencing high levels of anxiety, um, especially with all the uncertainty going on right now. And to be honest, guys, this is just a very stressful time. Um, So I wanted to take this episode and talk to two people, um, two friends that I have um, that are doing incredible work when it comes to studying and talking about digital wellness, um, our relationship with technology, how to build healthy habits. You know, I'm always thinking, why can't I put my phone down? Why am I mindlessly scrolling through Instagram when I'm exhausted? Why do I go on Instagram when I have other things to do? Why do I feel like I need to respond to every single person? Um, When it comes to quarantine, I... I think I've shared with you guys that I am highly productive. And so I've been able to get a lot of stuff done, but just answering questions like, is it okay if I do nothing all day? Should I be being productive? What if I don't want to Zoom with my friends? That's me. Maybe you're feeling something different. Maybe you're feeling anxiety in isolation. Maybe this isolation has turned into loneliness and you feel trapped and the list just goes on and on. So Like I mentioned, I have two very exciting guests, people that I respect, um, Mark Weinstein and Tommy Sobel. I'll explain who they are when I introduce them. But like I mentioned, I'm just fascinated with the work that they've done on their podcasts and communities that they've built when it comes to building healthy habits with technology and social media and just all around exploration of the self. You guys know I love this stuff. (laughs) So again, this conversation may be a little all over the place as far as wellness goes, but it's obviously a very broad subject. So here we go. Yay, May, Mental Health Awareness Month. All right, friends. So we have Mark Weinstein, the infamous Mark Weinstein (laughs) on our podcast. And I say infamous Infamous. because he's one of the only people that has declined to come on to the I Don't Get It podcast (laughs) when we were doing our Fire Festival um, episode. And And the reason being is, um, well, I don't actually know the reason, but I'm just kidding. 
Mark obviously was in the Emmy-nominated Netflix documentary titled Fire, the Greatest Party That Never Happened. Um, you guys may know him as the yoga guru, the man bun guy. And now he's actually <laughs> the host of his own podcast called Look Up, which is sort of this podcast on exploration of you know society and self. And I love it so much because Mark is actually one of my favorite people that I follow. I feel like you're somewhat of a sociologist. I, I don't know if you want to... <laughs> wow. If you could start with like how your involvement in Fire Festival, this like yeah. crazy party that was made famous through social media, made cheese sandwiches famous, and sort of led or maybe not led to this um, aha moment of um, how social media affects us physically and emotionally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and thanks for the intro. And sociologists, I've never heard that before, but. I'm kind of, um, I would describe myself as a generalist, an intentional generalist, like jack of all trades, master of none. But there's a second half to that quote that they didn't teach us in school, which is, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So I think that we have this perception in our culture that like you have to specialize in something. Mm. And I just find so many things to be interesting. So like, I want to explore, you know, I want to explore social media and I want to talk about economics. I want to talk about meditation and mindfulness and just go in on all these subjects and just learn and not have to be so, so focused. And it's kind of challenging because it's led me down this, like a little bit of a meandering path in life as I meander away from the question that you asked. So let me <laughs> I was just going to say, <laughs> I, I already know guys, this conversation with Mark is going to go a million different ways. I prefaced that in the recording, in the intro I did before I had you on the line, because I honestly feel the exact same way. And, and you guys have heard me talk about this before. We're being a host everyone is like, oh, we're, we need a movie expert. We need a film expert. We need a... And I've never tried... I've always sort of strived to not put myself in a box. And I always say, I'm movie obsessed. I'm sports obsessed. I'm fashion obsessed. Yes. So I've been lucky enough to work in all of them, but people sort of stay in one lane. And so I think, yeah, going back to the meandering and <laughs> we yeah. should probably I, start with like I can, answer, I can answer your question. Yeah. So... Um, so Fire Festival, I was uh, coming off of my second startup company, uh, which was 90s Fest. And it was an, a music festival business that basically captured what it was like to be a teenager or a child in the 90s. And a friend of mine knew that I had worked on that for two years and was looking to invest. Uh, his fund was going to invest in Fire Festival. And so I got introduced to Billy. This was March, you know, middle of March 2017. So it's over three years now. And the idea was, hey, we need some help with logistics. You understand building music festivals. You've done this before. Um, the festival is about a month and a half away. Can you join up and come down to the Bahamas and help us? So I lived in Exumas for four months, or four weeks, sorry. And it's funny because the documentary calls me a festival consultant. Yeah. And I've had like I've had like, you know, young kids reach out and people be like, how do I become a festival consultant? That sounds like the best job ever. And I'm like, Is that a job? Yeah. It sounds like a Chiron that would be on The Bachelor, you know? Like, yeah, it's, exactly. And that's kind yeah. of what it was. It's totally not what I do in any way, shape or form. I mean, I've, I've done business consulting and that's kind of what I was brought on to do. But to your point on social media, because that's what we're here to discuss. So Fire, as you know, was this festival that was launched... Um, on the back of this incredible advertising campaign in the sense that it captured 
the attention of a really large population enough to sell out a music festival in its first installment, which is a very challenging feat for a music festival operator. They obviously threw a lot of money behind that video and paid a lot of extremely famous people. And, um, you know, it sold a dream and the dream didn't exist. It's, I don't have anything against marketing, you know, your product in a way that makes it look sexy or flashy or exciting, but you need to at least be able to back it up somewhat with, um, operations and with product. And like of a real course, house, not like a tent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. if you tell, if you have <laughs> images of like the inside of a, of a log cabin with a view of the beach for three people, but then you put them in a tent and you don't tell them that they're going to be in a tent. Um, that's a huge issue. And so, you know, I was hyper-focused on production and logistics, like some other people that were brought on in the 11th hour to try to make some kind of event happen. And of course, you know, you can watch the documentary um, to see what did happen, in fact. And after the festival was all said and done, I moved into this place of reflection because I was kind of, you know, I was like, wow, what the fuck just happened? Like, for part of my French, four weeks on, um, on this island, you know, beautiful backgrounds and scenery, working in the end 20 hours to 24-hour shifts trying to get this thing to actually happen, you know, sleepless nights, tons of people involved, meeting incredible people, meeting really challenged people, um, and just like needed to process. So stayed after the event for a week on the island and worked with the government to try to sort out how to get people paid, how to get them their house keys back, the cars back to the rental stores, et cetera. And after that, it was kind of, I was on pause, 90s Fest had, was fine. We were finalizing our sale of 90s Fest and I was kind of figuring out what I wanted to do next. So I was taking time to reflect on all of these, uh, these things that happened. And I wrote this piece in like August of 2017, which was basically about how, you know, asking was Fire Festival just a microcosm or just a representation of what we all do on social media? And of course, at this time, I hadn't realized there was this, you know, financial fraud involved, or at least the extent of it. Mm-hmm. So I asked, are we all a little bit like Billy mm. um, in, in our feeds? And, you know, being the kind of, uh, having my nature to like really look at myself uh, and oftentimes critically. And so part of the piece was also evaluating my social media presence while I was working on the island because I probably posted three times. And at that time I had like a couple hundred followers. It was just like my close friends. Mm-hmm. But even so, it was like, what is this image that I'm trying to project of myself to even my friends and those around me? And it was images of like beautiful beach scenery and me hanging out on a porch overlooking a crystal blue ocean mm-hmm. and comments like, you know, view from the office could be worse, which yeah. we see a ton of now. And it was worse. (laughs) And it was so much worse because I was stressed. I was freaking out. I wasn't sleeping. I was going crazy. But my public facing, you know, Instagram profile was like, look at me. Life is amazing. Yeah. And, um, and so I was reflecting on that. And, you know, my assessment at that time was that we need more honesty on social media and we need more vulnerability and we need more openness uh, on social media because, the challenges that social media creates 
are exaggerations of problems that we all face as humans already, which is jealousy and comparison. Mm-hmm. FOMO is, is an interesting one, fear of missing out. Um, and fear being um, false expectations expectations appearing real appearing real yeah false expectations appearing real and and so it's like we all struggle with this in regular life and then social media just kind of amplifies it to the next level and so we sit there and we end up comparing ourselves to everyone else's avatar and and for for young women out there and young men is kind of men are are held to a higher standard for, for the way that we look as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, literally comparing themselves to someone's avatar in that with tools that are available to us in social media today, um, we can manipulate the way that we look. Mm-hmm. And many of us do. And, you know, many have to for their work, frankly. But then, you know, for for the man or woman sitting at home that's not feeling confident in his or her body yeah. to then go online and see someone that's completely photoshopped and completely edited. Right. It leads to an exaggeration of already, you know, emotions of feeling of lack of self-worth and whatnot. Yeah. And this is like, I, I've done a lot of research on loneliness, obviously being in the heartbroken anonymous, um, you know, having heartbroken anonymous and yeah, I think been- sorry. No, it's been great to follow along. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And what's crazy is that like when you see a group of people having fun and you're not with them, you know, think of that feeling of when you're sitting at a middle school or high school and you guys know exactly what I mean. This sort of like sparks the shame that you have about, you know, the way that you feel and you don't want to share it with anyone um, because you don't want to be labeled as an outcast. But the paradox of loneliness is that you're sort of feeling this feeling and you're ashamed about it and you're not reaching out to the antidote of loneliness, which is social and real human connection, which is why we'll yeah. have Tommy on to talk more about that later. But um, so then you have all these people at home that sort of feel lonely and feel sad and they think that they're the only ones that feel that way. But really, so many people feel that way, which is why I try and bring those people together in Heartbroken Anonymous. But to your point social media is sort of that other table in the cafeteria that's having Mm. so much fun. But like you were saying, half of it isn't even real. So it's, it's just crazy. Do you think before I called you, I was talking about like how, how I just think it's so annoying how when I'm exhausted, I'm still scrolling on Instagram on my phone. Um, Mm. When I have stuff to do, I find myself reaching for my phone, going on social media. Do you think social media like is addicting Mark? Yeah, 100%. And there's, there's science to back that up. Um, you know, social media is literally uh, created in order to capture as much of our attention as it possibly can. And that's based upon the model, the financial model for social media companies like Facebook and Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, um, is advertising. And so the more eyeballs that you have for longer, the more ad dollars you can generate. And what the algorithm, which is just this computer program uh, that they create to evaluate each and every one of us, is trained to do is to hit us with content that will keep us coming back. And what happens is that 
the content that tends to keep us coming back is content that taps into our lizard brain, basically like the, the kind of lower, like the, the part of us that is another way to describe it is like fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Um, or I think Tommy will probably talk about this, but I think it's the limbic brain versus the neocortex. So like the part of your brain that is literally programmed to, to figure out when you need to defend yourself Mm -hmm. and when you need to, um, when you need to run. And so when they tap into that part of our brain, they're tapping into emotions like jealousy, like anger, like fear. And these emotions have a tendency to keep us at an elevated state of awareness, heightened state of awareness. You know, your pupils will dilate, your breath will shorten. Like imagine the feeling that you get if, if you're afraid, right? That's what happens. You feel your heart beat faster. Yeah. This is actually what's happening to your physiology when, you're, when you get into a social media kind of binge mm. and you're scrolling through. It's, there's also dopamine kicks involved. So they keep do, they do things like notifications. And, and it's all designed, right? And that's the thing. There's, there's an incredible... I'm, I'm like not... There are so many incredible experts on this topic. Mm-hmm. One is uh, Tristan Harris, who started the Center for Humane Technology. Mm-hmm. He has... There's an hour-long video. It's a YouTube video. It's on the website, which describes in full detail how technology, today's technology is created to keep us coming back for more, how they, these companies essentially have a digital version of us, like a little digital voodoo doll that they experiment with. AB te- it's called AB testing to figure out what content we react to and how really not even intentionally, but the byproduct, there's certain other byproducts when you start to scale it out beyond the individual level, which is that the more extreme the content in any field, right. the more likely you are to stay engaged. So YouTube, for example, YouTube has, I think, oh man, I'm not sure of the exact statistics, but it's like tens of billions of hours of views, right? Every day on their platform. Yeah. And the algorithm, the YouTube algorithm determines something like 70% of what people are watching on YouTube. Mm. But the algorithm, it's been proven, drives people to more and more fringe content. So if you look up a right-wing political video on YouTube, you'll likely end up down the line on flat earther. Mm. And flat earthers are people that today believe that the earth is flat. And it's just because those are the videos that keep people coming back. It's Mm. not like YouTube is endorsing that content, but in a way they are. In a way, they are. They're controlling the algorithm. And I'm sure Instagram's so similar to that. How do you, Mark, what do you take of like how, and we can get into social responsibility. And again, I feel like we could talk about that for an hour uh, and like whether or not they should be held accountable. Like I think that they should and they don't really take responsibility. Uh, and even it, I have like my qualms with Instagram where like I built my own following, but then they want me to pay to promote my content, which like makes no yeah. sense. Well, we're all slaves to the algorithm. I mean, they change And as a creator, that that part of the social media addiction is extremely challenging because it becomes your livelihood. And I mean, how hard is is it as a creator to be going from, 
you know, you have 5,000 views on average for your video. And then one day you wake up and all of a sudden your content's getting 500 views. And this is again, your livelihood. Right. And you have no idea what happened, but what happened was somebody tinkered with the little numbers in the black box and now your content is not valued. And oftentimes the tinkering has to do with how can we make more money? Um, And they realize that, oh, we're going to actually charge creators because creators are taking sponsorship deals off platform. We're not getting paid for them. So let's charge these creators to reach their audience that they've built on our platform. Right, right. It's wild. It's crazy. It really is. It's bananas. I mean, I'm going, I'm going <laughs> all over the place, but like... We're slaves. Just, we're, we're slaves to the machine, man. It's, it's crazy. crazy. Whatever. Go out and get a real job. Don't be an influencer. No. <laughs> anyway. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past— And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. What, what was I going to ask you? What do you? What's your take on like social media in the quarantine age, let's call this? Yeah. Like, how, oh, what man. are the conversations that you've been having with guests on your podcast? I'm sure you've been reading some great stuff up on this. Like, in general, is there proof that it, you know, it is making this situation worse, essentially, for people at home? Yeah, well, I think, as I said earlier, like, I think that these are, you know, we want to blame the companies. And there are some incentive issues that are very, you know, apparent, as we described earlier. Um, but often, it's just the amplification of, of what already is there for us as people. Mm-hmm. You know, these emotions exist already and social media just has this, it's like a megaphone. It, it just expands 
those feelings. And so if you are in a place of fear because you're scared that your loved one is going to get sick or now that you're out of work and how am I going to make, I'm out of work. How am I going to make ends meet? How am I going to put food on the table? $1,200 is not nearly enough, you know, and that fear is with you. Well, you might start consuming content based on those fears. And we oftentimes, when we're looking for, to, to deal with our emotions, we actually seek out content that confirms, it's called confirmation bias. We wow. seek out people and content that confirms our pre-existing ideas. And so that is now, so accurate, Mark, because I feel like I've been trying to stay away from the news. I, I actually don't really follow it. Sorry, guys. But a lot no, of my friends good. are. And so so when they tell me things and I'm sort of like, yes, but we don't know yet. You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty that could change tomorrow. I'm finding that those friends are sending me links to articles, you know, that are like, see, look, or yeah. now, now we're going to be at home till July or it's going to come back in October. Yeah. And, and now like, which is so fascinating about this, about this situation to me. And this is not, this is not at, this is not at the human level, like at the individual person level. But as I described with YouTube and kind of how content gets more and more fringed, everything gets more and more politicized. So now we have this virus and it's gotten completely politicized, mm-hmm. which is if I believe in freedom and I believe in free markets, then let's get back to work. And like, you can't, don't tread on me, government. You can't tell me what to do to go into quarantine. And then you have people on the left that are like, I can't believe how irresponsible you are. And it's just this, you know, like take a deep breath. Just realize, I think it's so important now more than ever for us to realize like our shared humanity. I think that people that are protesting right now to get out, they're afraid for their livelihood. Yeah. Excuse me. They want to be able to, you know, to take care of their family and put food on the table just as people that are staying home and quarantining and want to be told, you know, the virus is, has been taken care of and we stomp the curb yeah. and want to stay in until they see that, they want to protect their health. And so you know, it's really, it's our shared humanity that I think is going to bring us together. But yeah. what happens in these, when we have these news events and this 24-7 news cycle, mm. there's constant information that's flowing mm. to us. And oftentimes we live in what are called like social media bubbles. We're actually only seeing content that reinforces what we already think. So if we're afraid of the economy, then we're going to keep getting content sent to us that says the economy is collapsing. The economy is Unemployment. Yeah. Unemployment. Unemployment. Disney's, you know, losing billions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's very real, but this polit, the, the politics of it all, the divisive nature of it all is also exacerbated by um, social media. And, for, and unfortunately, the politics plays to our kind of baser emotions like fear and anger. Yeah. Um, those seem to get people coming back. You recently shared a post that was like your five digital wellness tips. And I was hoping yeah. you could impart those on us. Two simple acts that you can do to reduce your dependence on social media in particular, but also your just technology in general, Mm -hmm. is to create time in the day in which you do not have access to your phone. Mm -hmm. It remains to be one of the few ways that clearly stop you from 
connecting with the device and, and um, in a way that's not healthy. It reminds me of, um, I was born in 1990 and it, it's so funny looking back. Like I never thought that I would ever say that I miss like the AOL dial of tone or like any of these things. But my parents, essentially we had healthier habits. <laughs> You're like, eh, maybe not. Uh, no, no, I'm thinking of the, the noises. It's like the crunchy noise oh, that yeah, came out like, with the dial. I was like, mom, I'm on the phone. It was like, ah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. In your ears. <laughs> <laughs> Always when I was on the phone with a boy too, my mom would like just... Yeah, she'd come on. Of course. On. But then, anyway. you know, you were the one doing it because you were on AIM and you were up exactly. all hours of the night. There you, you know. go. But um, what what, actually, what's fun, my screening was short stuff too, Anne. And I still like... Nice. <laughs> what was I going to say? But Mark, we had computer time. You know what I'm saying? Like my parents like set away and I wanted to be outside. I wanted to swim in our pool. I want, and then there were, then there was computer time. So is that essentially what you're saying? Habit number one is? Yeah, essentially. Well, it's kind of the opposite. Habit number one is anti-computer time. So it's, you know, where I think we can make a really big impact on our days and there is another habit actually that is computer time. So I'll okay. go there after this. <laughs> um, but the times that we can have the, the greatest impact on our days is first thing when we wake up and the last thing before we go to bed, because we know that sleep is, and we're, more research continues to come out on this, that sleep is extremely important in terms of, of building health, mental mm-hmm. health, emotional health, physical health, yeah. um, all these things. And so we have to build digital health as well. And so keeping our phone on and next to the bed and having it be the last thing that we see before we go to sleep is actually providing us with a worse sleeping experience. Oftentimes it makes it harder to fall asleep. And part of that has to do with the blue light that you're getting um, from your phone or your other device, your computer. Mm -hmm. And so what I recommend is before you go to bed, you know, you keep I, I try to keep my electronics out of my bedroom. I try to keep my computer out of my bedroom and my phone. Of course, sometimes you want to binge watch a little Netflix before bed. Okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can do that outside and then you make your room like a little phone-free sanctuary. So before bed for 30 minutes to an hour, you take the opportunity to do something that's not on your phone. Um, that can be journaling. That can be reading a book. That could even be taking a shower or a warm bath. So then, um, since you don't have your phone in your room before you go to bed, the next best thing to do is not have your phone on you when you wake up. It's already not in your room. But Mark, how am I going to wake up? I wake up to my phone alarm. Mm -hmm. Well, you can go on Amazon.com and you can purchase a old school digital alarm clock for like 10 bucks now, or even an analog one. Mm -hmm. Set the time to wake you up. And the best description that I've heard of this is if you woke up in the morning and you had 15 of your friends walk directly into your room with all of their questions, all of their energy, all of their interest, just right on top of you, would that be a positive experience for you on a daily basis to wake up with your friends surrounding your bed? Right. The answer is probably no. So, you know, why do we do that digitally? Why is the first thing that I do when I wake up, turn to my right, pick up my phone, and then I have 25 messages from the night before, I'm checking emails, and it's just a mental invasion. Wow. So what I like to do is ride the night of not having had my phone 
and then keep my phone off for an hour and take care of my morning routine. So yeah. usually that's, that can be exercise. For me, that's meditation and breath work, um, making myself a cup of coffee. Yeah. I'm really patient about it. Um, number three is actually more like the computer time that you mentioned, which is, okay, Mark, <laughs> you say you don't like social media, but you're clearly on it. And that's so true. Like, I don't mean to be a hypocrite. I only talk about these things because I struggle with them massively. Yeah. Um, particularly around like information overload. Like I just love the news. I love, you know, articles and getting my hands on data and whatever I can find to like, you know, parrot later on and pretend yeah. like I'm smart. <laughs> um, but, but I... Uh, I like that term parrot. That's funny. Yeah. So, so what, what Nir actually recommends, and I started practicing this thanks to him, is I actually carve out on my calendar a few hours a day, and I, I have two time periods during the day of one and a half hours worth of time that is dedicated for social media scrolling and digital article reading. And so basically, I'm giving myself permission at this time of day to go on social media and engage in any way that I want. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, so that's number three, carving out time in your day explicitly for social media use. Another practice that I have, which is kind of an extreme of um, the morning and evening, is I literally take off an entire day every week. Um, And I'm blessed that I'm able to do this. I understand that, you know, people work seven days a week and they're not able to do that. So I want to be sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. But I have set boundaries um, in my life with coworkers and with friends and family that from Friday night at 8 p.m. until Sunday morning, I will not be on my phone. I will not be accessible. And Tommy will talk to you about brick time and kind of what he's built there. And brick I mean, it's incredible. I do it's this incredible. Yeah. So we're changing the cultural dialogue around it's okay not to respond right away. Yeah. When did it become this thing that, like, if I look at a message, just because you saw that I saw it doesn't mean that I have to respond to it or that I have mm. to keep my snap, my snap streak going. Okay. What's the last one? Meals. Ooh. Meals are so important. You know, like meals are an opportunity for us to connect with our loved ones, or if we're eating solo, to connect with ourselves and to really focus on being present to the taste of what we're eating. Or if we're cooking for ourselves, what we're cooking. Like, mm-hmm. what a wonderful time to just disconnect. So, I like to make meals phone free and I like to encourage, I'm like that guy, like, if you come out with me to dinner, I'll be like, hey, like I'm, I'm really not using my phone at the dinner table right now. Like, can we, can we drop in? Can we have a real conversation? You know, because there's nothing worse. I think there's nothing that feels worse, even though we do it. We often do it to other people. It's like, how bad does it feel when you're in the middle of speaking and then someone just whips out their phone and starts talking, starts texting someone? It's like, when did that become socially acceptable to it's- basically say f you to someone <laughs> to their yeah. face? Because no, your phone is more important. It's so rude. It's so rude. And if you guys, if you find yourself doing that, it, it's really a, it's a habit that I, I don't wish for anyone to have because it's so rude. You wouldn't talk to a real person <laughs> in the middle of a conversation with another person if they were standing there. And that's like essentially yeah. what you're doing. But meals is great because I'm learning in this course I'm taking at Yale, the science of well-being mm-hmm. that... Um, you know, all these healthy habits, like getting good sleep and meditating, which I'll get to with Mark in a second. Um, savoring is, is a big thing that can boost happiness. 
And mm. so if you are having that meal by yourself, you're able to savor and be in the moment and remain present and not think about, you know, what am I going to eat for dinner or, you know, what's going to happen later? You're just like in that moment, sort of appreciating the deliciousness of what you just ordered or made. And, and I think, you know, it sounds silly, but it really is a way to make you happier. There's, there's one thing that I've been so stoked to talk to you about today. Actually, (laughs) Like I, I can't really talk to, um, I haven't really talked to any of my friends about this, but I want to go into sort of how I've been feeling in quarantine and sort of something that you posted titled The Subtle Art of Doing Nothing. Oh, yeah. I've been like so highly productive, Mark. This is obviously being in a pandemic is terrible. You know, this is like an awful situation. Um, For someone like me, who's always on the go, it's there's been a bright side and a silver lining for me. It's sort of like this rehab. I have time to cook for myself now. I can meditate. I'm getting eight hours of sleep. But I, I'm sort of the extreme version where like I wrote a children's book last weekend. And I, like, yeah. I am, I'm That's so amazing. What is, I'm, what, is, what is it called? It's called Beatrice Tough, The Cow Who Believed She Was Never Enough. And it's sort of like based on my... I love that title. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's so funny. It's um, Oh my God. It's inspired by this my favorite children's book called Hieronymus White, The Bird Who Believed He Was Always Right. And it was written by Jeff Moss, who was one of the co-creators of Sesame Street. And the entire book rhymes, Mark. And it was 82 pages, barely had pictures. I think I read it when I was like in third grade. So I was like, I want to make an entire book that rhymes... But anyways, I, I think that there's like two kinds of people in quarantine, Mark. You know, there's people that are like, I really don't want to do anything today. Is that okay? Or should we be using this time? Should we be following what the Stoics say? I know you love, you know, Stoics. I love Stoicism. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that, you know, that whole thing. I just, I don't know. Like, what, what do we do with this time? Is it okay to do nothing? Should we be doing something? <laughs> Yeah, that's such a great question. And I would, I just want to step back because like I'm sharing these digital habits and blah, blah, blah. And I really just want to reinforce that I'm not trying to sit here as someone, you know, that believes he knows telling you what to do and how to improve your life. Everything that I share um, here and on my, on my social media accounts is really just stuff that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just reflecting back to others that, hey, like this is a, co- a collective challenge that we're all going through. And so in the video that you mentioned, like I needed that, that was medicine for me to share that because, because I am the type of person that actually has a very hard time sitting still. Mm. Um, even when I'm meditating, I'm doing meditation. Mm. So it's like, I'm doing something. There's an activity, there's an act. Mm. And I've been talking about this with my friend, Danny Steiner, who started Kensho Health, um, which is like a holistic wellness platform that I love. We've been talking about human doing versus human being. Mm. Like we're not human doings. We are human beings and we are enough just for being there, just for showing up, just for waking up, just for living another day. We are worthy. I think a lot of like, even the social media, the comparisons, it's just, it comes down to a fundamental lack of inherent self-worth. And so there's a lot of doing 
to make up for what we feel a lack of in our being. Wow. Now, yeah. What's, now, you know what's funny too? I was reading about time affluence, which I think is, I should probably like write it on my mirror, but time affluence is basically, it goes two ways. So you either value money more over time or you value time more over money. And so this has sort of always been my qualm as a freelancer. You know, it's like, do I take this extra job on my day off? You know, my Monday, I don't have any jobs. So do uh, I make this more, do I make more money Monday or do I just relax? I feel like we've been programmed to sort of work really hard and, and make all this money. But really what's going to make us happier is to have free time to do nothing, to not uh, book like a podcast or whatever it is, and to just like have that time to do whatever you want in that moment. Oh my God, you have no idea how much that's resonating with me right now. Yeah, I'll send you you stuff on time affluence. It's fascinating because people either feel two ways about it. You know, there's there's this kind of like classic, I think it might be the Dalai Lama or someone that talks about how in the West, we trade our youth and our health for money so we, we put all of our time and effort and energy into our work and we ignore our health, our mental health, our emotional health right now, our digital health, physical health slides. And, you know, then we get to this place where we've made all of this money and then what do we do with it? Exactly. We, we spend it all on healthcare. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like that's, that's, what like, a paradox. Yeah, it's crazy. So we make all this money, we, we sacrifice our health, and then we end up spending the money to, to heal because there's all these chronic diseases and whatnot in yeah. our culture. You, you wrote a really funny blog, I was like laughing, um, called Creativity and Discipline. Yeah. About how you sort of wanted to sit down and write every week for an hour. And then you wanted to write about Burning Man, but then you saw a post about it on Instagram. <laughs> You're like, this is different. I'm not going to write about this. But that in like into two minutes, you're writing and you're, and then you're checking your phone and then you're like, well, do I, does this need to be consistent? Do I really need to be doing this? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, is there any even right answer to like being during this time? You know, I'm, I'm wary of people that have the answers. I've been reading a lot about mind wandering and there was like this incredible study done by researchers, um, Killingsworth and Gilbert. And so they sort of handed all these people like a pager and asked them at different points of the day what they were thinking about. Mm. And it turns out that I think 46.9% of the time, we're not thinking about the task at hand and what we're doing. We're mind wandering. And it's crazy because, and not to get like neuroscience-y, but if we could like throw it in now, it's like when you're doing a task at hand and all of a sudden, you know, whatever it is, you're cleaning out your closet. When you stop thinking about cleaning out your closet, your mind just doesn't go dark. It, you know, it sets off this default system in your brain that starts either thinking about the past, what someone said to you this morning or the future. Like, what am I going to have for dinner later? And it's like this. I'm constantly planning my next meal. (laughs) I'm like planning my like Sunday night meals, but I just feel like I just found this to be such an incredible achievement like a cognitive achievement that we can do that. We're actually one of the only species in the world that can sort of get out of our heads and think of something else. But what sucks is that this like, it's also an annoying feature of the brain, right? Because you can't just be in the moment, which is going to bring you the most happiness, which is going to 
make you be present. And one of the ways that we can sort of circumvent this like mind wandering is through meditation. So can you sort of maybe, maybe for people who have like never tried to meditate, like what, what say you Mark, you know, like how do people sort of get into that sort of thing? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, really there's a, there's a bunch of different ways to to do it, but it's really just the practice of sitting still and being present with yourself. And I find the greatest tool that we have available to us, one, because it's free and everybody has access to it, um, and two, uh, because it's it's a really cool thing that we, we can, can take control of an unconscious bodily function, which is breathing. Uh, we have our breath as a tool. So you can meditate simply by following your breath and counting. So you can inhale and you can exhale. You can inhale and you can exhale. And it's incredible, but like five breaths like that at any point in the day, sitting at your computer, stressed out with your kids, waking up in the morning, five deep full breaths in and out, conscious breaths where you're just thinking about the breath. Now I'm inhaling, now I'm exhaling. Mm-hmm. It's just like such an incredible practice that's available to all of us. And I think the, I think the breath is the best entry point into meditation. I love that. I feel your voice. I'm so jealous of like, you and Tommy have such cool and calm dispositions. Like your so <laughs> I'm like, I'm like a duck, you know, like, you know how ducks look like they're smooth sailing on the top of the water, but underneath the feet are just like, yeah, yeah. I'm the opposite. I feel like my, my head's underwater and my legs <laughs> are like, so chill on the inside, but I just project. Off. Like, I feel like I sound so annoying talking to you. Like everyone's probably like, calm down. Like, this is fun. No, you're so, what do you mean? You're amazing. <laughs> I like that. Thanks um, for keeping me in line. I was starting to go out there for a little bit. No, I, I love it. I mean, I think it's just it's it's exciting because you you know you've read up on all this stuff. So I'm very happy that we finally got to sort of As have you have you on talk about you know technology, social media, what the right or wrong thing to do is in quarantine, which we don't have the answer to, but it's no really answer. whatever you feel. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe just try and stop your mind from wandering. Take some time away from your phone and give meditation a shot if you haven't already. Do you where can people find you? And Yeah, great question. You know, where who do you meditate? Actually, I I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I've always sort of meditated here and there, but it wasn't until you added me to Deepak Chopra's 21 Days of Abundance, which oh, I yes. got on the podcast where it it was great because it was sort of this accountability chat where I had yeah. to do it. And so I did it every morning. I noticed that my I was so much happier during the day. Um, I loved myself more because I was taking more time for myself. Yeah. And so I really want to thank you for that because I don't, I don't think I would have been really into meditating if it wasn't for 21 Days of Abundance, which I actually ended up doing again. And now I actually like doing different meditations like um, body scans, loving kindness ones. You mentioned sitting, but I I know that there's like walking meditations too. I think it's the practice of not thinking about anything else. So even if that means like taking a walk, you know, during the day and really trying to just focus on the here and now, really trying to savor that meal you're eating. You know, it's all forms of meditation. But yeah, that's it. 
It's that simple. So whether you're walking or whether you're eating, as you described, if you take a moment to look at your food before every bite and to chew it like 15 times in your mouth and to really taste it, yeah, you're right there. Yeah. And that's like, that is like a really hard thing to do for me, especially because I love to eat. Isn't that um, so silly? That I just love to eat so, so fast. It's kind so of silly. hard. Well, you know, the greatest problem of men is sitting in a, alone in a room or something like yeah. that. Some smart dude said one day. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, no, this has been so fun. And there's, there's so many practices to explore. So I love the Deepak Chopra meditations. He and Oprah in this time have released a number of free 21-day programs. What's great about the Deepak meditations is they also offer exercises. So there's exercises you know, like journaling and different ideas every day that you get to carry with you and think about, which I love. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Joe Dispenza. He does some like physiological, you know, yeah. really deep, heady meditations. Becoming supernatural. So, yeah. I love Sam yeah. Harris and the Waking Up app. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Tom Knowles and the Vedic meditation tradition, which is branched off of transcendental meditation. It's a form of mantra meditation, just repeating a mantra to yourself. I love any breath work. Holotropic breath work is unbelievable. There's like a million practices. Just go, you know, go find one, explore. It'll open up doors. Your physical yoga practice where you go into your, on your mat and you do your sun salutations, that's a meditation. That's a moving meditation. Mm-hmm. It's, it's there to get you reconnected to your body through your breath. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm rambling again. So <laughs> where, where you can find me, um, I'm at Wark Mindstein. Sorry, say that again. I'm at Wark Meinstein on Instagram, W-A-R-C-M-E-I-N-S-T-E-I-N. You can find my show, The Look Up Podcast, anywhere that podcasts are available, iTunes, Spotify, uh, or at thelookuppodcast.com. And you can sign up for my weekly newsletter. Um, I write some of these crazy thoughts sometimes uh, and share them with people. And so, yeah, now it's just like, super happy to come on like everything in its right place and time i don't know why i said no at that time i think i was afraid that you guys were just trying to roast me for being the fire fool but um <laughs> but i'm glad i'm glad to to I'm be fire. here now well mark thank you so much for coming on um and yeah we'll have Thanks to for having me ahead. okay friends so now we have tommy sobel tommy am i saying your last name right i feel like i've never yeah. asked you how you pronounce your that's last how name. you say it. yes Okay, so now we have Tommy Sobel on, extraordinaire. Um, I was just joking to our listeners with having Mark on that the both of you have such a calm and cool disposition. Like your voices are calming. You guys are just so cool and like well-read that I feel like I'm just going to be so annoying on this episode. (laughs) How could you be annoying? Um, anyways, guys, Tommy's story, he's become like such a dear friend of mine, but I actually met Tommy through Mark. I found out who you were because Mark was posting about Brick and you are the founder of Brick, which is a grassroots movement that I'll let you define. But before you did that, you were Steven Spielberg's assistant. And so as a lover and someone who obviously, you know, covers movies and film and television, like how did you go from being his assistant to starting a movement that encourages people to put their phone down? Cool. Well, first, thank you for for having me. I was so excited to be on the show <laughs> and just love your whole vibe and everything that you do. And and always just been so grateful that 
you're a part of the Brick community and and been so supportive of what we're doing. So I'm just really grateful for you. Thanks. Oh, thanks. Uh, also, sometimes my mom does say so bell, but it's usually when we're <laughs> on hold with a hotel or something and she wants to like, <laughs> so they say they're all all booked up and she wants to like sound VIP. So That's but, hilarious. She's like, um, it's so bell. Yeah. So this is Connie so bell calling for my Hertz <laughs> reservation. I'd like an upgrade, please. <laughs> Wait, Connie sounds amazing. My dad, like we would go on road trips as kids all the time and I would get so mad at him because you know, we're from Florida. So we drive through the South and he'd all of a sudden sound. And we also lived in Mobile, Alabama for a little, that's a story for another day, but he would, he would sort of like sound like how the people would sound in the city we were in. And I'm like, dad, what are you doing? (laughs) We don't talk like that. I love it. I, I think my accent changes based on my friends a little bit too. Like when I'm with my surfer friends, I have a little bit more of that. And yeah. Uh, when I'm with my Beverly Hills friends, we talk about El Trem. <laughs> we, we can maybe what cut this out. Uh, oh, it's a great, great late night sandwich spot. Like after oh, okay, you go it. to Truesdale, you would go to El Trem. Um, have to check it out. So yeah, tell us about your journey. Yeah, so um, yeah, I, I basically, so I was Steven Spielberg's assistant for a few years, and then he promoted me to a new position as the junior executive in the digital department, this new department that was going to explore what do we do in podcasts and VR and, and Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram. And because of this position, this job, I had to spend a ton of time, I had to do a ton of work on my phone. And it got to the point that I realized it was having a negative effect on my mental health and my my lifestyle and i was checking my phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night and was even waking up in the middle of the night to check it for for no reason and it was just making me anxious and irritable uh and i knew that no matter how hard i tried i just couldn't keep up with everything i couldn't catch up and so uh and so th- th- that was the bad news the good news is i i have a background in neuroscience and I, I spent six years working on this long gestating project with these researchers at Duke University and UCLA. And, and I learned through that process uh, the dynamics of behavior change and, and how habits worked and habit reformation. And so I started applying those, uh, what I knew to myself, to my own behaviors, and it started working. And so I started sharing that with a couple friends and it started working for them. And so I came up with this initial concept of brick, which was, can you turn your phone into a brick for an hour a day and do something meaningful to you in the real world? Can you just do this one rudimentary practice that's basically you establishing control over your device and building confidence with that? And, and people really were resonating with that. And it, it kind of turned into this community of people who benefited from it. And so, yeah, that was the beginning of, of Brick as a community. And that was about two and a half years ago. I, I ended up leaving the film industry in October of 2017 because Brick just really seemed like it was picking up speed and, and it was happening. And, and even back then, I feel like people, people didn't really grasp or the average person didn't grasp the issue. I think that back then... When I was telling people, hey, I'm, I'm going to leave this job that I've been working to get towards for the last decade, 
Yeah. Uh, I'm going to leave this industry and this incredible position that I feel like a lot of people would, would die for to start a phone free company, to start a phone free business. And everyone's like, wow, that's a really interesting idea. But like, good luck, man. Like everybody loves their phones. Everybody, social media is cool. Yeah. And it's only in the last year or so that I feel like there has been this sea change where people have started to realize that, that like what I, what I was realizing that it does have a mental health consequence and this Mm -hmm. obligation of being always on that burnout is real. And it's not a meaningful life that we live through Mm -hmm. screens Um, or at least the way that we were using screens at the time. Uh, We could talk about how people are using screens today. And I think it's actually, there's some hope to it because people are actually using it to connect face to face more often than they were before. But yeah. Yeah. So that's, it's kind of my story. Which is fascinating and such an important lesson in, in, um, staying in line with your meaning, right? And your purpose, just because you had this job that seemed super glamorous, you were making all this money. It it essentially wasn't this fire burning in you. It wasn't this purpose, which I I think this is your purpose. I don't know if you think that. Um, So I think that's an important takeaway. But I wanted to ask like, why brick? Why, Why like a red square? How did that come into fruition? Like, were you thinking of like the third little piggy? And (laughs) I think you lived in a brick house, the third one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but when your phone breaks, like when you update your software and there's an issue with it, they say your phone turns into a brick. So like a phone being bricked Mm -hmm. is a uh, technical term. And so we're just playing around with that where we're saying, uh, turn your phone off, make it, make it defunct, turn it into an, a immobile object that serves no purpose other than, you know, just make it sit there like a brick right. would instead of this supercomputer, this device that's controlling our lives. I mean, that's, that's at its surface, but um, yeah, it's really interesting. The, the concept I was searching for what I wanted to do next mm-hmm. and I knew that I had compulsions to overuse my phone and I knew that it was a problem and I wanted to figure out how I could take my background in neuroscience and, 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 and my social media addiction and maybe turn, find the solution for myself and, and see where it goes. And, and I was just meditating on it classically and, and the, the name Brick just kind of came to me. That's amazing. Well, I love it. What what is Brick? We say that Brick is a grassroots movement for people who are dissatisfied with their relationship to screens and social media and are looking to spend more time living meaningfully in the real world. Uh, we have that daily challenge to our community to turn your phone into a brick for an hour a day and do something that's meaningful to you. And then we, for the past two years, have been throwing phone-free events and retreats I also am now a digital wellness coach and speaker. And so I developed this three-step program. It's a technique basically that helps you break your bad phone habits, feel freedom from your phone and have more time in your day. And this is just, it's so revolutionary guys. And to start off with events, Tommy has multiple different kinds of events. One specifically that I is my favorite is called Instaquire. So Instaquire is a specific one where you sort of go and learn this song 
um, in one day. It's just one song and you learn it in the company of strangers. And you guys know I love when like strangers connect, obviously, because Heartbroken is very similar. Um, but essentially, we were learning this song. I think it was all night long. We I went to the yeah. one that was all night long. Yeah. And just singing... Spending an hour that we would have otherwise spent on our phones. And Tommy just like the cool factor is just through the roof because you put your phone in like this like old Disney VHS sort of thing. <laughs> it's like a very, uh, you know, I hate when people use the word millennial, but I feel like it is very like millennial tailored. It's just so cool. And so this, this singing instructor sort of taught us this song in a day and like, you know, split the group in half. And it was so, I, I felt like I was releasing chemicals and endorphins. And, and I know that you have the background in neuroscience. So if you can sort of explain how we can get those like rushes without being on our phone. Yeah. I love that question. Yeah. The cool thing about instant choir, there's, there's studies that show that group singing actually boosts oxytocin, which mm-hmm. is the group bonding neurochemical. It's, it's, the, it's this pleasure chemical that's released during childbirth or when you're making out or when you hug someone deeply. Uh, it's, this, it, you know, it's this very powerful neurochemical that we all need, that we all strive for. So group singing actually boosts that faster than anything else. They've wow. Found. And so that's that's what's so great because at our instant choirs, we've got like 70 people that don't know each other. And all you do is you sing together and yeah, you're getting out of your comfort zone. Maybe you don't think you have a good voice, but, but you're just cranking it out. And it's like, I don't care that that's a really powerful bonding experience. And you basically feel high afterwards. You really do. What's amazing is that I, I came to you sort of in a time in my life where a lot of like my jobs were, popping off and like I have multiple I have like different jobs so I'm constantly getting emails and I'm sort of on the clock if you will all the time so this was like this haven I was like wow I can go and just put my phone away and be around other people that think it's cool to put their phone away and like actually have a really good time so when I when I went to one of your events I was just so enthralled and I thought like what you were doing is so powerful and like revolutionary and and I'm so happy we met. So events is just like one little part of it. And you've taken it even further. And now you're doing workshops and you actually have digital coaching one-on-one, which I think is great. I talked to Mark a little bit about, you know, is social media addicting? Is our phones addicting? I think the answer is yes. There's a story you shared about this one woman that I would love for you to share. Cause I took one of your workshops, I, a little bit of it. Yeah. And, um, I thought that the story was really powerful. How I think it was a girl that spent like hours on her phone. Can you sort of describe that story? Sure. Yeah. So I'd been doing these phone-free events for a couple of years and I just got this Facebook message from a woman that I didn't know. We, uh, for these purposes, I'll call her Jenny. Mm -hmm. And Jenny told me in this message that she was on her phone for 11 hours a day, every day. She, and she was desperate. She didn't know what to do. She knew she wanted to spend less time on it. She knew she had a problem. She had extreme problems in her social life. She hadn't had a job in like five years and she didn't know what to do. So, so she was asked me for help. And I said, I couldn't guarantee anything, but what I could do was share what had been working for me up until this point and see how it went. And so for the, in the first month, she brought her phone use down from 11 hours a day to five hours a day. 
Wild. So she was spending six more hours every day in the real world. And she was spending that time building up confidence, doing things, rediscovering things that she loved to do, like ice skating and baking, actually. And she ended up getting her first job in five years as a baker after after having rediscovered this. And so she was making her own money for the first time. And that that also boosted her confidence and making even more of these these discoveries. And and I, I won't share the the specifics of of the the where where she ended up because I have a, a personal code of confidentiality with my clients. But what I will say is that she ended up making an extremely positive personal change that was incredibly empowering for her. And that, that was a turning point for me because that I realized that this wasn't just about my phone habits, that I could actually share what I knew with others. And that, so that was the beginning of my digital wellness coaching and, and the brick method, which is that, that technique that I now teach. And so we, we always, I think so many of us have this love-hate relationship with our phones where... Yeah, that's what I have. I like really love it. I love social media because I can use it to promote my projects and connect with, you know, people that are like me. But I also hate it because it's, it's a time killer, I feel like. Yeah, we get sucked into the rabbit hole and we, we reach out to it with intention and then we find ourselves using it unintentionally. And that doesn't feel good. It feels like time wasting. It's not time well spent. And, and so we, we, we think of it kind of like this nuisance, like this frustrating thing. But in Jenny's case, it's, it can be a lot more than that. I mean, she truly wasn't living up to her potential. And she was allowing herself to be distracted for most of her waking hours mm-hmm. through phone use and messaging. And when she was able to break through that, she totally transformed. So, right. And so with Mark, you know, we sort of talked about like the good and bad sides of social media, but with you, I think we're taking it a step further and talking about the relationship and maybe unhealthy habits we have with our phones. Do you think that people are addicted to their phones? Like what do the numbers say? What, what I will, so the DSM, which is where we show diagnosis of all diseases and, and pathologies, at least psychological diseases, there's no diagnosis for phone addiction or screen addiction. All they've gotten to so far is the WHO, World Health Organization, has designated gaming addiction. But even that is still not in the DSM, which is what all psychologists and psychiatrists use. So, crazy. so from a clinical level, there is no phone addiction today. But what we do know is that these phones were designed to be addictive and there's a spectrum, right? Like you can say that something, what, what is addiction? What would phone addiction look like? And what we do know is that it's, it's the extreme of a bad habit. And so if you have, and, and to the point where you actually, it is despite negative consequences, addiction is defined as despite negative consequences, continued use. Mm-hmm. So if that's the definition, like, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I don't know anybody who, well, I, I can't say that, but, but I, there's <laughs> definitely a lot of people that I think acknowledge that their phone is not just a tool for productivity or for connection. It, it can actually distance you from relationships or distance you from, prevent you from productivity or, or living a meaningful life. 
Yeah, I was talking to Mark about, you know, I've been doing a lot of reading and studying up on loneliness, obviously, because of Heartbroken Anonymous. And obviously, the antidote to loneliness is real human connection. And what people don't, and that doesn't mean like just having a bunch of people around you. That means having a quality conversation and actually engaging and feeling like you're connecting with someone else. That's why when you're around friends, um, you physically feel your body feel more relaxed. And when you're venting to them and you have this sort of sense of home around them, you know, it's almost like you feel like you're not being judged and whatever. And, you know, the concept of being around strangers creates this space where you feel like you're not being judged. So what's really cool is about, is that at your events, not only are you away from your phone, maybe easing the anxiety, but you're also like building stronger human connection, which is to me extremely important because I feel like there's also an epidemic going on in the world and that's loneliness. And yeah. I feel like you're you're sort of helping that too. Do you feel like that? I yeah. Thank you. Uh, I, there's so much evidence that shows that habit change is better together w- with other people. I think of Brick as is ultimately a habit change community. People that are motivated to improve their habits and. That can be for a bunch of different reasons. It could be because they're lonely. It could be because they feel unproductive or they're just in a crappy job or, uh, you know, there's, there's so many reasons. But I definitely think loneliness is a big one. And there's also research with that, that, that heavy internet users are five times more likely to suffer from loneliness and depression. And heavy internet use is defined as five hours a day on screens. And what we're seeing, especially now, I mean, even before the epidemic, the pandemic, I mean, there was the average American was on their phones five hours a day. So the average person was a heavy internet user. But today, there's a there was a recent study from this screen, uh, uh, Tubi is this kind of a streaming app, they said that the average American is streaming eight hours of content a day. So we're all heavy, I don't know, obese internet users, obese internet, obese internet users. And, um, that I don't, I haven't seen specific research on how that is directly correlated to people's mental health, but I do know that, that there's going to be, uh, this is just the beginning of, of this new level of, of a mental health epidemic due to this physical isolation. And, and so, yeah, it's a bummer that we actually can't bring people together in the real world today, because I think okay. that if pe- people really needed it before, and if they needed it before, they really, they really need it now. Yeah. One thing that you and I have like never talked about actually, or I've never asked you about is, um, I remember reading last year that New York was trying to pass this law that workplaces wouldn't be allowed to send out or that it would be illegal to have to answer an email after a certain time. I don't know if it was like 10 o'clock. I don't remember what the time was. Don't quote me on this. But what's interesting is like, I don't know, I've never talked to you about sort of like that need or that, that you and I have both worked in the entertainment industry. I still do. So maybe it's this industry. I imagine it's other ones too, but we're sort of like set up in this system where you have to respond right away. 
And so I think that we take that and we do it on Instagram and to DMs and to everything. We have to text back right away. We have to do everything right away. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think that it's a huge problem and it's absolutely a problem with the film industry or the entertainment industry. Many creative industries, I mean, even real estate agents, they don't have a nine to five. They, they're just waiting for a text from an interested client, you know, an interested potential yeah. home buyer. And so even they don't know when to turn off. So I think more and more now, everyone's living in this 24 seven, always on world where everything could feel like a missed opportunity if you're not there and, and you're not present. And so it's even more essential for these people that, that don't know when to check out or don't have a, a clock, a nine to five, to set their own practices for themselves, for their, for their own mental health. And um, I feel like you had another question in there, but oh well, yeah, the legislation. So in France, I don't know if you know this, but France does have that regulation where you can't no check way. work emails. It's illegal to check work emails after 5 p.m., I believe, or 6 p.m. And, you know, France is a little bit more of a homogenous uh, uh, culture. So it'll be more difficult, I think, to pass here in America where, where we kind of have this, we wear busyness as a badge of honor. Yeah. We, we, we uh, kind of sacrifice our time for pleasure. It kind of, it's, it's like the hustle mentality that is somehow still looked up to. One of the things that we do in the brick method, I mean, the first thing that we do actually in the brick method is we do some goal setting and, and we call it goal digging. It's, it's uh, I don't know if you're familiar with dreamlining that Tim Ferriss kind of popularized, but it's, it's really awesome because, well, dreamlining specifically, you're creating a timeline for your dreams. So in the next year, in the next 12 months, yeah. what are the top three things that I want to have accomplished? What, what do I basically want to be and what do I want to do? And, mm-hmm. and you, you then take those top three priorities and you figure out what's the number one each. Do I want to write a book, let's say, or do I want to give a TED talk? Or depending on who you are, you, you, you know, we often, we plan our birthdays and we plan our <laughs> weddings, but we don't often plan our lives. And so yeah, we kind of live funny. through we lived through so many years of our lives without ever giving just a 20 minutes or more of thought saying what actually would make my life more meaningful. We can ask that question. Is this, is this for a more meaningful life or not? And, and, and there actually is an answer. We can get the answer to that. It's what actually would make our lives meaningful. And let's find out what that is. Let's make it concrete. Don't let it be nebulous. Know exactly what I want to accomplish in the next year. And actually Go crazy. Make it the most ambitious pie-in-the-sky goal possible because that's more motivating. If right. it's like, oh, I want to I wanna read 10 books this year, it's like, okay, that's cool. I want to read 52 books a year. I want to read a book every week. Like That's, a, that's an ambitious goal that actually uh, studies show you'll actually be more likely to follow through on because of the ambition. Wow. So yeah, I think that it's easy to do all these little things that don't actually move the needle or you don't even know where the needle is until you define what would make your life meaningful. And so I, th- I think that's a really important exercise that, that is also dynamically changing. Doing that once every six months is a pretty, pretty awesome exercise. I love that. Tim Ferriss dreamlining. I'll have to yeah. look that up. Um, I've, I've recently been reading up on, um, I forget what her name is, Gabrielle Odin. Oh, 
Hmm. Odenberg, she she um, created this method called WHOOP. Have you heard of WHOOP? Oh yeah. Wish outcome obstacle plan. Yes. So to sort of, um, I've started to do this. So I sit and I'll meditate, and I'll think of a wish, whether it's like for the week or for the year or for the next couple of years. And it's it's called mental contrasting because like it's really easy to be like, all right, I want to be the next Oprah one day, whatever. But with WHOOP, you sort of have to then after you have your wish, you think of the outcome. So you like feel that feeling of like whatever it is, you know, that you're trying to accomplish. And then the next part is the most prolific and it's you think of the obstacles Mm. and thinking of the obstacles then helps you plan. Okay. If then like, Mm -hmm. if I just want to eat healthy, if I see a slice of pizza, then I'm going to reach for the apple instead. So now you have like this plan. So I, I love, I love the dreamlining. I'll definitely be looking um, it up, but yeah, I've been like implementing all these different things. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, you mentioned practices too. Um, and obviously, I don't want to give too much away because you guys should definitely sign up for Tommy's workshop and like check it out for yourself. But one of them, um, you've already, it seems as though, influenced Mark and I with. And that is putting your phone away an hour before bed, charging it somewhere else, not in your room if you can, or if you know you live in a studio like I do, maybe charging it really far away. <laughs> um, as long so as it's, it's not, not reachable from bed. So it's not within reach. Exactly. And then when you wake up, spend an hour without looking at your phone and spend that hour either meditating, making a cup of coffee. Um, And so I've been doing that. And Tommy, it's literally helped so much. I don't have anticipatory anxiety. I'm not like... And Mark was saying, it's like when you look at your phone right away, when you wake up, it's like you're taking in all the energy of like all those people like trying to text you and all these emails. And there was a study I came across in the course I'm taking I wanted to tell you about because I thought you would think it's interesting. So this guy named Brian Wansick, he works in like the Cornell Food Lab. And um, and so he did this study where with secretaries. And so he put a candy bowl on their desk and then he put for some secretaries and then for other secretaries, he put a candy bowl sort of two meters away from them. Um, and 48% more candy was consumed when it was on the desk. So I, I just thought about like, wow, this is exactly what Tommy's been teaching with sort of like putting your phone away. And then visibility, visibility matters too. So he did the same thing. He had you know a group of secretaries who had it on the desk and a group who had it in their drawer. And apparently 25% less candy was consumed if it was mm. in the drawer. And I thought that you would find that like- I fun. love that. I yeah. don't know that study. I'm going to use that. Thank yeah, you, you should. That. I'll send it to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, so what, what you're describing uh, in behavioral science, we call that environmental design. So you're actually designing your environment for success or failure. We think that good habits, we think that behavior is really a matter of willpower or discipline and grit. Like, I'm just, I can't check my phone first thing in the morning. But if you just, if it's out of sight and out of mind, then you don't even need to use your willpower muscle, which is this very flimsy muscle. You don't even, it's, if it's impossible for you to check your phone in bed because it's across the room, you don't need to exert any mental energy to do the right thing. And so, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that study kind of shows that if you can design your environment to help you use your phone only when you really want to, like I charge it at my desk in, in the other room, 
then I'm able to do these things that I want to do. And I don't, I'm not as susceptible to my weaknesses of, oh, let me just, if my phone's my alarm clock, then oh, let me just check one thing. And then you just, it's a slippery slope. You can't yeah. just check one thing. Yeah. And if you, and if you buy that alarm clock on Amazon or um, just so you guys know, I actually use my Google home as my alarm clock. So I don't need my phone near me to sort of wake me up. And I've put in all my meditations on like this old iPad I found when I clean out Perfect. my closet. It's like the iPad too. It's so funny, Tommy. It like cannot do anything, but it luckily can take this app that has like meditations. Like it was, cap- it was capable. So yeah, so I do that and I'm getting eight hours of sleep now. And it just, wow. it really is easing all my anxiety in quarantine. So what, is there like a certain amount of hours or time that is health is deemed healthy to be on your phone? Like, is there a, sort of a standard that we should be trying to achieve? I think about this question, the solution is both quantitative and qualitative. So quantitatively, in general, we're spending too much time on our phones. So the goal is to reduce the amount of screen time. Is the solution zero screen time? No, we're not saying you want to be, we want you to become Amish to just not use a phone (laughs) at all is the solution. We're saying use your phone in a way that is intentional and, and makes you feel good. And so that gets to the qualitative point. So if you're using your phone and you put it down and you're like, wow, I'm so glad I just had that FaceTime with grandma. I haven't, I haven't seen her in a while. And that was really nice to catch up. Mm-hmm. And that was a three hour call. That's three hours of screen time, but it was, it was, you were feeling connected. And so qualitatively, that's actually improved your mental health. And so if you're, if you're using your phone or your screens in a way that makes you feel good, there's no problem. You, you don't want to change that. It's mm-hmm. only when you use your phone and then you're like, wow, I just get locked into feeling FOMO and comparison and objectifying myself against this impossible beauty standard from the Instagram explore page. And, uh, I just found myself swiping on dating apps for 45 minutes and that's not, you know, all I wanted to do was check the weather. Yeah. That's unintended time. And that's a problem. That's, that's indication of low conscious control. And so we actually use both of those metrics of number one, Let's just re- let's reduce the total amount of time just as a basic goal. Any negative slope is is in the right direction, and then let's let's go from you feeling like your phone is owning you or controlling you or is causing stress and frustration or loneliness to actually feeling good about it and using your phone as a tool to love your phone again. I, I feel like I have to like end on that line because it's so perfect. And I'm so glad that you sort of clarified this because the point of this podcast wasn't to necessarily like villainize the phone and technology and social media. Um, I think it's a great way, especially now in this pandemic, it's almost like, wow, what the fuck would we do without it? You know, this, this is how we connect with our grandmothers and and the people we love and our friends. This This is how we feel less lonely, but I'm glad that you sort of like drew the line in the sand because I'm, I sort of wanted to talk to you and Mark today because I find that sometimes all those you know ailments I have felt from my phone, whether it's taking up productivity time, whether I feel overwhelmed from the amount of emails I have to get back to. Now there's like so many Zooms I have to be a part of. Um, you know, So this is really more for that. If you're comparing yourself on social media, if you're reading the news all the time and because it's politicized, it's making you feel worse. So hopefully this like 
helped, you know, in some way. Is there anything else that you like want to add, Tommy, before? Yeah, I just thank you again for having me and and having this conversation with me. Uh, I'm so happy to hear that you took that phone smart habit and applied it into your life and that you've gotten benefits out of it because uh, it has for me. And it's just really nice to know that it's working for you too. And and for Mark also, and that, that, I mean, it truly is a game changer. So yeah. Well, it's all because of you. You're like, you started this movement and I don't know if you guys know this, but Tommy and I, when, when the world wasn't at like sort of this standstill that we're in, we're, um, well, it's not at a standstill. I shouldn't say that, but you know, things slowing are different down. now. Yeah. It's slowing down. But when we were all able to sort of be outside um, and safer at home wasn't implemented, Tommy and I were collaborating um, the Brick community and the Heartbroken Anonymous community because technically coming to Heartbroken Anonymous is a phone-free event. It's It's an hour away from your phone. So I am just... I'm like your biggest supporter and cheerleader. I'm like so happy I like found you. And um, yeah, if you're listening, I hope you guys check out Tommy's workshops. He's doing them now digital, virtually. Yeah, um, and they're free. So it's less than an hour. Anybody anywhere around the world, I'm doing them about twice a week ongoing. They're super social and fun. You get a taste of what the Brick community is about and digital wellness. And would love to have anybody that's listening on our website. Yeah. Where, what is your website? Uh, gobricknow.com, all spelled out. And if you want to go straight to the workshops page, it's gobricknow.com slash workshops. And they are, yeah, virtual workshops. Amazing. And where can people find you? Uh, we are on Instagram at gobricknow. And we're on YouTube. If you search Brick Digital Wellness Movement on YouTube, we're, we're releasing content there. Love to have right. everybody join. I love it. And come to a, a girl, Go Brick or Brick Heartbroken Anonymous event. Yes, we have to schedule that. Back up and running again. Well, Tommy, thank you so much. And guys, I hope you got something out of this. Um, again, was not meant to like villainize technology and phones because thank God for them. But also, <laughs> yeah, let's, it's got to be healthy. Let's use them to serve us instead of us serving them. Yeah, I love that. All right. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Naz. I don't get it. Podcast.